Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for coming, and thank you for the panelists for joining us. We have about an hour together today to talk about what we call the power of the graph. And this session is supposed to inspire you all to think about how Facebook as a platform helps your businesses, your startups, your large media companies accelerate. How you can actually leverage the scale of what is now 800 million users to actually transform the way you think about business. So I'll start with a bit of a story of where we've come from and where we're going. I might be biased, but I really think we're in the middle of a transformation of the web. A transformation into a web that's built around people rather than around links. A transformation in the way you actually discover, browse, and consume content. In which you actually choose what TV show to watch, what newspaper article to read, what song to listen to, based on what your friends, the people that matter the most to you, actually recommend to you. And you yourself become an editor and a recommender for them. And we call this social design. The notion that a experience should actually start with people first, rather than actually with an editorialized content first. Or an algorithmic discovery first. And actually, we kind of stumbled into this notion of social design when we launched one of our first uh, features on, the, on Facebook. It actually started with photos. A couple of years ago, when we decided to integrate photo upload to the site, we already had a number of competitors, if you will, people that were actually building servers on top of the space. There was um, Ophoto that ended up getting bought by um, by Kodak, there was Flickr that ended up getting bought by Yahoo. There were some really good services out there that enables you to upload content, edit your pictures, reduce red eye, share it with your family. Our service sucked. Our service didn't allow you to crop, didn't allow you to actually update anything, didn't allow you to actually modify anything in the picture. All it allowed you to do was one special feature. It allowed you to tag your friends. And by actually putting people at the center of this object, of this picture, it completely transformed the way people engage with pictures on Facebook. Today, we're actually the world's largest repository of pictures. We have more pictures on our database being uploaded per day than the number two and number three and number four and number five service combined. And it all, it's all because when you upload a picture to Facebook right after your Halloween party or your Christmas dinner or your wedding, you're gonna tag your friends. Your friends are going to be informed about the fact that they were tagged, and they'll go and comment on it and browse on it, and their friends will see it, and they'll come and comment and tag it, talk about it, and share it. And it's this viral distribution that is enabled simply because you were able to tell which friends were actually on that picture. So this is a, a picture of our team um, in Istanbul a couple of weeks ago when we actually did a developer event there, and actually the number of comments that came afterwards as we tagged each other. Most of, them, most of them complained that they had not been invited to the party. And so this notion of social design where people are actually the core of the experience was actually baked into what we call the platform. And partners of ours started leveraging this notion of a people first and started building a new category of experiences. So from photos, we actually went to games. Oops, sorry. From photos, we actually went to games. We launched what we call the Facebook platform at our first developer event, F8. 
And F8 has become this milestone for us to actually launch products that little by little start making the web a social place. The second F8, we took this notion of identity and actually decided to export it. And we launched Facebook Connect. And Connect was a simple way in which any user could log on to a website with their Facebook identity. And along with that identity came your friends. Along with their friends came their interests. And based on your interests and their interests, some magical experiences happened. One of my favorite experiences is actually Airbnb, where you can actually browse apartments and actually discover what apartment you're going to rent based on anonymous recommendations. But if you press the big blue connect button, it actually shifts the whole list of apartments to show you apartments recommended by your friends, apartments reviewed by your friends, Apart owners of apartments that are friends with your friends. And psychologically, it completely changes the way you interact with that website. Move forward one more year, we launched a number of viral channels that actually took social gaming and actually made it explode. You might remember the days in which probably every day you had a sheep announcement on your Facebook newsfeed, or somebody inviting you to play one bill game or another bill game. We probably pushed the envelope a bit too much in terms of virality and kind of the ability we gave our partners to, to um, share requests with users. So we've actually now tried to change that and modify it so that the graph, the way the information is shown to you on Facebook is algorithmically driven based on you. If you're a heavy gamer, you will now see more gaming content. If you're actually more of a music guy, you'll see more music content. If you're more of a news guy, you'll see more news content. And we're calling it graph rank. The notion that this graph should actually be personalized based on your interests, but actually influenced based on those people around you. So we work with our partners, a gaming partner like Wuga and uh, EA and Zynga, to give them new channels for virality to actually engage with users and to invite new users to these gaming experiences. About two years ago, um, we launched the Open Graph. I've been with the company about seven months by that point, and I, I've had the pleasure of actually working at some pretty important technology companies, but I never saw one single product launch shift the whole industry as the Open Graph did. The fact that with one launch, we were actually now able to semantically add an intelligence layer on top of any URL on the web. A news article, a video, a song, now had an identity. We actually knew what the object was. The URL was not simply a blind URL. It was of type music with artist David Guetta with track XYZ from album XYZ. And it had an association with me and with my friends. And on top of the open graph, we actually started creating an ability for your friends to discover content based on what you had liked. An ability for you to actually share content with your friends around intelligent objects. But the challenge with the open graph was that you could only associate yourself with these objects based on one verb. The verb was like. The like button is pretty much prevalent throughout the web. Most websites, most content sites that you go to today will have the like button as a way for you to easily share content and discover content through your friends. But the challenge that we had with the like button was actually, it didn't really allow us to truly explain how you're going to be associated with that object. And so what we tried to think about was how to extend that, how to actually make it easier for you to discover content was being shared, but actually also to appropriately designate the content you were interacting with. And as we've done before, the first category where we started was actually in games. So we talked about social design earlier on and the impact that it's had on industries, on photos first. But the impact that it's had on gaming is profound. The fact that 
companies like Zynga are supposed to go public pretty soon, or companies like Playfish that got acquired by EA, or PopCap, um, or Kabam that got acquired by Disney, generate so much value for their shareholders and owners, was based on the fact that the trajectory of growth for these companies had never before been seen in the gaming space. And we'll talk with Yes later on a bit about how Wuga's grown and how well they're doing right now, but the notion of putting friends rather than anonymous users at the center of a gaming experience changed the way in which you emotionally associated with yourself with it. You were no longer playing a quiz game against some random person in Paris, you were playing against your best friend. And I guarantee that if your best friend beats you at that quiz game, you're probably going to go back and try to beat him again. Or that if your friend invited you to play Farmville or actually visited your farm, you might actually go back and visit his farm. And these social dynamics, viral dynamics that actually got included into social gaming, made it become what is now the largest gaming category in the web. Success stories like Cityville going from 0 to 65 million in under 45 days. 65 million users in a single game. There's such amazing stories around companies being built on top of this gaming platform. And the ironic part is that we didn't sit in Palo Alto, California and say, let's go become the world's largest gaming platform. It really happened in a way accidentally. It happened because we built a platform that allowed these companies to put people in the center. And knew the users drove the virality, and that's what actually made it grow so fast. There's more users on top of the Facebook gaming platform today than on Nintendo, PlayStation, and Wii combined. If I was building a gaming company today, and I could look at the cost base of building for the Xbox or building for Facebook, and the potential monetization between both, I'd choose Facebook. The interesting thing about gaming is that people keep talking about how it's dead and how the viral channels have effectively been turned on. Yes, it's true. We actually modified the viral channels to make it more relevant to the user to try and actually limit some of the spam that was happening on the platform. We've reinvigorated the distribution channels that we've added on top of Facebook. And now you really have three viral channels to talk to people. A one-to-one -one channel in which you're actually inviting your specific friend. And the news feed, which is effectively a one-to-many channel, you're kind of broadcasting your actions that you're taking. And then this new channel that we've added that we call the ticker, which appears on the right-hand side of your uh, Facebook experience. And the ticker is kind of fire, real-time update of what's happening around you. Christian just into a song, Christian just played a game, Christian just beat Julian at a game. And the way that people are actually dipping into those experiences is quite different from how they're dipping into the experience from the, from the news feed. It's a catch your eye, go into it, take some actions, and then go on with your day. And now we have new ways in which gaming partners can actually engage with um, the users based on these three different channels. And we're trying to actually make it smart so when the content shows up the newsfeed, it's actually more relevant to you, while the ticker will continue to be, as I said, rapid fire, and your friend one-to-one -one request will actually be highly personalized. I've met with MVC about a year ago, and he was looking into a, a gaming company that was doing pretty well on top of the platform. And, um, and I asked him why they hadn't invested in the latest round, and he said, we've done this before, we've invested in gaming companies on Facebook, the virality is dead. It doesn't work. You guys shut up all the channels that actually made, made uh, Zynga and Playfish grow really fast. And recently I actually went with MVC again, and I showed him some of the data. And I said, you actually claimed the viral channels are wrong. The problem is you were thinking about the first generation of Facebook. You weren't actually counting on the innovation that these gaming companies were going to do to actually continue to grow. 
And the fantastic part, I'm biased, my focus is to actually build an ecosystem of developers on top of Facebook in Europe. The fantastic part is that the European partners are actually leading the way. If you look across the top 10 partners and the fastest growing companies on top of the Facebook platform, many of them are actually coming from this continent. There's a reason why Yes is on stage here from Wuga. Wuga is my favorite story of somebody proving that VC wrong. They, they launched after we had killed virality. And they specifically focused on driving, building very good quality games and acquiring users, users virally and actually not buying users with ads. And Yen's publicly talks about how less than X percent of their users actually come in through acquired channels. They're now the number two platform on Facebook? Two or three, depending on how you count it. He has this fantastic team from around the world in one cool, cool office in Berlin. And if you look actually at the growth of his games, it's actually incredible seeing how each of them starts to tip. So this is one example of a company that shouldn't exist because morality was dead. And a guy that actually set up a shop in Berlin and brought in people from around the world, Australia, Czech Republic, Sweden, to that place in Berlin, and from Berlin is actually going out to the world. My other great example is King.com. King.com has been around for a while. They were one of the leading casual gaming companies. Uh, they were made doing quite well on that side of the business. And Ricardo, the CEO, decided that his evolution for the, for the company was going to be to bet on Facebook and bet on mobile. And so he's been actually building a studio specifically for social games. He's been socializing his casual games. He's been launching experiences on top of Facebook that are, that are specifically social. And he's actually now the fourth largest partner on top of Facebook. Right? This is actually after eight months of efforts on top of the platform. When he actually said, told his team, go, actually go build a social experience. And you actually see the growth of some of his games. It's been amazing. They're actually going to be doing a panel together. Jens um, and Ricardo and Julien, who runs our gaming partnerships in Europe, will be uh, have a panel, I think, at 5 p.m. today. Another fantastic story. Social Point, a small company based out of Barcelona that builds social games and focuses on specific geographies. They have 8 million monthly active users. That's actually fairly impressive for a very, but still a fairly small studio based out of Barcelona. And my favorite example though is, uh, is Nordius. Nordius started off as three guys in Serbia. And Serbia is not exactly the country you think about as the hub of technology innovation in Europe. But Branko, who's the founder and CEO, um, had worked at Microsoft uh, in Europe, actually went back home, and he decided to actually go create a game around football and team management. A niche that actually was exploited outside Facebook but had not yet been leveraged inside Facebook. And so they launched a game, Top 11. It's a bit too complex for me. You have to build your team and manage it and be actively involved. We're buying players, selling players, um, playing games against your friends. So you're creating everything you would do in, in, the, in the traditional football management game, but with your real friends, people at the center. And this little three-person Serbian shop is now actually the largest sports franchise on Facebook. Bigger than the largest sports franchise outside of Facebook for football, which is FIFA from EA. So five million monthly active users, um, 150 countries, users from 150 countries, but more interestingly, monetization from 150 countries. For three guys in Serbia, who have now become 30, they're doing pretty well in terms of revenue. Because they were able to identify a specific niche that had not been met and actually build a really good quality game. And I love this story because I believe that my platform 
is the best platform for entrepreneurs. If you want to scale on a global basis, we give you the, the user base and the acceleration through the viral channels that could never have been achieved before. Imagine if three guys in Serbia had to try to build a game for Xbox and have to negotiate with every retailer to put their box on, on stores. They never would have success they've had today. I think Brack was somewhere here as well. And so, last F8, which happened about uh, now 60 days ago, last F8, we once again pushed the envelope a bit more around the evolution of social. And we believe we've launched actually a new generation of social applications. A new generation of experiences that actually let you share content, discover content based on your friends. An extension of, what, of the opening graph into new verticals such as media, music, uh, video, news, lifestyle, lifestyle applications such as food spotting or running applications from Nike Plus. And all these applications are effectively building on top of an API, but to actually make them really relevant, we actually have to build a new way in which you actually engage with the content on Facebook, a new way for you to present your life on Facebook, a new way for you to actually share what, what was important to you, the way you want it to be perceived with your friends. And that is called Timeline. And Timeline is um, the evolution of the Facebook profile, the way in which you'll now be able to add this time dimension to your experiences, and you'll be able to add content from before you were actually on Facebook from those milestones in your life, the day you graduated from college, or actually your daughter's birth, or your wedding day. Things that make you who you are, but actually happened before you were actually online. Today we already have about a million developers on Timeline. People have actually gone through the process of actually signing up as developers to get Timeline. Last, two days ago we actually turned on Timeline for users in New Zealand to actually start experimenting and getting real feedback from users. And you'll start seeing it a, a, a further roll-off across different countries as we actually tweak and ensure that users are onboarding the right way. So the question I've been getting the most is when is Timeline coming out? The answer is soon. If you're from New Zealand, now. So this is actually my timeline. I think we took a snapshot a couple days ago. And it scrolls back through the last 60 days of my life. It highlights where I've been, what I've done in a very visual way. It actually brings to life what my life has been. It actually creates a whole new way in which you engage with content. I love going in and clicking on a random month of my life just to remember what I did that month. Be it a picture, or be it a song I listened to, or be it a news article I listened to. And we're seeing users browse to their friends' timelines and do the same. If you went to university with somebody, you'll actually tap on their timeline and look at the time where you were together and actually discover that picture of something silly you both did. You actually listen to a song that they consume at that point that reminds you of something. You actually look at the playlist from that party you went to together. It's actually going to be fascinating to see as we ramp up from a million developers to 800 million users, how this very visual rich environment will actually change. It's amazing to think about how you're going to be able to experience um, the life of the people that matter most to you. And the way, the way you're actually going to be able to share different facets of your life with friends because you actually have a medium through which to do it. The scrapbook in, uh, in America was a way in which you actually captured pictures that actually matter to you throughout your life. Um, until you actually have a social platform which you're actually able to do it at scale, it was a bit hard to do that with everybody that matter to you. And you have different circles, right? And you will curate the way you share pictures of your family with certain people and not with others. I work for Facebook, so I overshare, as some of my friends here will attest. But actually, there's certain things that I don't want to share with everybody. I actually only want to share with my very, very close friends or my family. 
And we've now given you tools as well to make sure that every single story, every single article you read, every song you listen to, every picture you post can be shared with the world. Select a group of friends or just that one special person. So I look forward to actually talking to you next year about some of the statistics of how people have shared and engaged with Timeline. But behind Timeline actually sits this, this new evolution of the Facebook platform, the new evolution of the open graph, and an evolution of the lexicon, the way we actually talk about the way you are connected to an object. And it's actually focused on associations. When we launched the open graph last year, the only way you could actually engage with content was by saying that you like something. I didn't like Amity. I actually watched Amity. I didn't actually like the five kilometer run I did yesterday. I ran the five kilometers. I didn't like the food I had at the speaker dinner last night. I ate the food. So how do you actually allow services to integrate the right level of emotional attachment through lexicon, through words? So with the open graph evolution through this new generation of social apps that we've launched, that's what we're trying to enable. We're trying to combine what I call three graphs that exist on Facebook. The first is the identity graph, the social graph. 800 million people with interconnections. 190 friends on average. 84% of users are actually inside the same country. So it's actually quite dense on a geographic level. And actually even more, higher density within the same city. So this is actually really a, a digital reflection of the real world graph, of your real relationships. We pretty much map in age to the internet in almost every country that we're in. So we're no longer a network of teenagers and college students, as many people still believe. We're more likely a young professional sitting at his desk checking his Facebook status. The second graph we have is the object graph. Millions and millions and millions of objects, URLs, pictures, events that have been posted and shared on Facebook. And we have an association between those two graphs that I call the interest graph. The fact that you're liked a picture, or that you're attending an event, or they actually shared a video. What we've done is expanded that interest graph to have a new lexicon that actually goes beyond like, but actually has global actions, verbs that we ourselves have actually launched globally, so play, listen, watch, read, things that apply mainly to media consumption. But more interestingly, actually opened up uh, the platform so you can create any verb that's relevant to your service. So if I'm talking to an e-commerce site, or let's say a luxury site, Carl, that launched yesterday, when you look at that red dress from Carl Lagerfeld, you don't like the red dress, you lust it, you want it, you bought it, you own it, you dressed it, you wore it. When you actually go to a recipe application, you didn't like the recipe, you actually cooked it, or tried it, or hated it, or loved it. And the cool part around the conversation that we're having with developers and partners is, the, the way they're trying to now emotionally drive attachment, but then actually also drive discovery of those actions. So how it all comes together is the open graph, the new lexicon of verbs, and timeline allows you to actually share and consume media uh, content in different ways. One example is Netflix. Netflix, um, not available in Europe yet, I think they've said they're coming, but Netflix is a, a UK, a US-based service that used to rent movies to you via mail, and now allows you to actually watch movies online. So Netflix was one of our launch partners for the Open Graph, and I go to the Netflix site, I log in with my Facebook identity, and what do I do on Netflix? So Netflix, I actually create watch lists of movies that I want to watch. I actually watch movies, I share movies, I comment on movies, I review movies. And they've actually taken those comments, that experience, and passed it on to Facebook. 
So when I actually watch something, it gets shared on my profile saying that Christian just watched a specific movie. And I decide who that gets shared with at an application level and at a line-by-line -line level. As I go through the, my experience and actually share and consume more and more content, that becomes what we call an aggregation unit. So an aggregation unit allows you to look at content over time. And you can dip into that same aggregation unit based on different points in time. So what was I watching last year versus last week versus today? So in this case, it's actually Julien, who runs our French partnerships. That's his consumption of video on Netflix over the last couple of weeks. You can ask him how he actually got Netflix in France. I don't want to know. But look at him. Actually, this, this gives me some impression about who he is. He likes to interview with a vampire. He's really into this show called Breaking Bad that I've never actually watched myself. If he likes it that much, it might actually be interesting. So I might want to go consume it as well. And that was actually biased. I thought that long-form content was not going to do as well as it's actually doing around the social sharing. People are actually discovering and consuming content based on their friends' recommendations for video content a lot higher than I would have predicted when we launched. And we'll talk about some of the stats later on. <coughs> the second part they've built is actually taking this interest graph and integrating it into their site. So when you go to Netflix and you want to be entertained, you click on a, on a specific um, link, it actually brings up your friends and what they've watched. And you can actually now use your friends as the editor rather than simply an algorithm on top of the site. And I can actually choose the movies that Mark himself has actually watched over the last couple weeks and discover that Mark also likes Breaking Bad. So that's two signals, strong signals to me that might actually be relevant to me. I trust Mark's taste, I kind of trust Juliana's taste. Does that actually mean that I should be consuming it? So they've actually taken the identity graph of my friends, their, their objects, in this case the movies, and the interest graph around the watch actions to build this social discovery and consumption experience on our website. And we're seeing services after service actually start building these deeper integrations around news consumption from The Guardian or Washington Post or Yahoo News, uh, from music from Spotify and Deezer and Log and Audio, from video of Daily Motion or Netflix, and actually a dozen of, dozens of other services, like here in France, Cinemuro is, is going to launch a great experience around movies you want to watch in the, in the theater, or Wipolo, a startup doing stuff around travel and places you've been to and places you're going to go to, and reviews you have for, for uh, hotels or restaurants. And this will all become part of how you share content on this timeline, this new social experience. So what I wanted to propose was that we actually look at some of these services and how the new type of social application generates new types of distribution. How the, the way you actually consume content leads to sharing, leads to more consumption. And rather than me talking about it, I actually want to invite Excel, the CEO of Deezer on stage, to actually walk us through why they actually integrate this with us and what it actually means for their both their strategy and where they're going. Hello, 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 to be there. After having listened to you, I said to myself, I want to become Facebook. But unfortunately, I'm just doing music. So I was wondering about the same thing maybe all of you could, could think, which is they are absolutely incredible, but how can they really help my own business? Because of course I'm proud to be integrated with Facebook, but not only for my own proudness. So, uh, in all sign, I, I would just I will just tell my story, the story of the music integration. Maybe it has nothing to do with you. But for us, it changed our life. The music has a, a double component. 
Music is at the same time a pure individual experience. Where alone, you listen to music, you enjoy it. It's part of yourself, it's nearly identical. And uh, more than that, it's uh, uh, you stand, you know, on desert, on your on your own, you spend something like 60 hours per, per month. So it's a lot of your time, it's a lot of your mind. But at the same time, music is an incredible social component. It, it's an incredible social component in the benefit of music, because then you discover and you enjoy more music, but it's, an, it's also a social component in the benefit of sociality. I think that uh, when you take a teenager, 30% of their discussion are about music. So this is the reason for us to spend so many time with Facebook. Because we, we wanted to, to build on what we built initially, which is the individual experience, to build on what they built, which is the social experience, and to get the both of them, and to make the two, two cycles communicate to each other. Music will still be an individual, will still be social, but the interference will be much more and more and more. So what I suggest is that Beatrice, for head of marketing, will just show you the integration, and then I will tell you more about how it changed all. Okay, so here you have my Facebook profile, very simply, and here in the ticker, I just simply get the music of my friends. And this is basically the best way for me to discover new music. I get it in the ticker. I also obviously get it in my timeline. And we've been working on this integration both on our website and on the mobile. So I get the streaming music from both the website and the mobile of my friends. If I pick something I like, I just simply click on listen and it opens Deezer. I'm on my account, I'm automatically logged, I listen to the music to my friends and if I like it, I just add it to my music simply or I can add it to my playlist in one click and I get it back, I find it in my music, I have all my favorite albums, I have all my playlists, and I can simply add the music my friends is sharing with me in one click, and it's totally integrated. So as Axel said, basically this is one of our favorite ways to discover music and to share it with friends. So the, the first thing is, uh, uh, why did we do that? We did that because it is improving, enhancing our own user experience. And we saw it in the data. I will talk later on about the recruitment, but before talking about the recruitment, we improve the user experience of the current users. And just because, thanks to this integration, finally the people are listening more music, discovering more music, and so enjoying more the service. As you know, as a, maybe you know, we are a subscription service, so the fact of increasing the level of enjoyment decreases the level of churn. And in France, definitely, women stay because we are in a mature market, we have 1.5 million paid subscribers. 
to work against the churn is absolutely crucial. So the first thing for us was to improve our viewer experience, and at the same time, for Facebook, it was also the same thing. Christian told it much better than me, but finally, what is behind is improving their user experience, improving the level of involvement of the people. Why did I describe it to you? It's because in your own business, you have to get why you will be important for Facebook. And you, you have to know how you will remain on your own business, where you know the DNA more than anybody else, but at the same time, to catch exactly what you need to improve the experience without losing your DNA. On this balance, we worked for eight months with Facebook to design the integration. We worked days and nights to find exactly what are the terms, what are the, the type of involvement we would describe, the type of information we will exchange. Every morning we were afraid about Facebook saying, wow, we are giving us all the information. And every, every night we say, oh, do you see all the information we receive from them? And what I can tell you, it's not only improving our business, it's also improving our company. Because during all those days of our nights, we listen, we learn, or to be over-focused toward the user experience. And that's, that's why I'm strongly recommend, I don't know how far you will go with Facebook, but I'm strongly recommended to, to do the game, because definitely the impact on your own company will be drastic. And so far for us, it has been for a good reason. So, in terms of data, we have some data there. So, two aspects of music, this is what I mentioned. Two types of your experience, and a unique way of recruiting. So, if I'm looking in French, in France, suddenly, for much before the September 22nd uh, uh, launch of the F8, with the new integration with Facebook, we were using definitely the Facebook Connect, and definitely it was very contributing to our fund. But suddenly, and the week 38 is exactly the week where we improved the integration, the, the, day, the day we pushed the publication and the ticker and all the integration, it increased very significantly the, the level of uh, exchange with Facebook. Knowingly that we are not Facebook only. All our integration is not Facebook only so far in France. I will come back to that in a few minutes. But only because of the quality of the experience improvement, it's improving the field. That's for France. But maybe, but at the moment for Disney, the main goal is to go outside of France. And then I'm very clear, my main question is not to improve my user experience. My main question is how I become global, and how I can use and leverage Facebook to access its 800 million uniques per day. How can I do that? And this is an incredible reason to do the integration, which is totally different. And so, in every of those new countries, there will be almost no music service, and Facebook has a lot of users, and those lot of users has a lot of music taste, and also there is a lot of Facebook competition in those countries. So we decided to go even farther in those countries, and to be Facebook only. So instead of offering the choice, we said, okay, now it's given the best music experience 
is the one mixing the individual experience with the other experience, which is the social experience. And so in all those countries, we become Facebook only. So far, we just have the data for branch Belgium from yesterday. So it's a little bit too early to have any figures. But there is no way a music service like mine could become really international before Facebook existed and proposed such an integration. Uh, as I said uh, yesterday, for the one who listened, uh, today the music is mainly focused uh, in a lot of countries outside of the US, 90%. And when you're looking at the Facebook users, there are 80% outside of the US. So in addition to be a recruitment tool, it's a specific uh, advantage to, toward the large numerous countries. If you, if you have a business which is driven local to local, then it will be less needed. If you have a business which has the DNA to be global, then it's a fantastic partner. The question now for me, and maybe for you, when you will go into the integration with Facebook, is where, up to which level we will go. And so far we don't know. But if from one user try my service, Thanks to his publication on Facebook, it generates me two users. I am the king of the world. If from one user coming to Facebook, thanks to the publication, it generates half a user, that's a good leverage. It will not change my life. So far, I don't know, and that's the story of the next month's form. Thank you. Thanks, Excel. And the theme, I think, of the, of the presentation today has been graphs that have very steep curves up and to the right. And that is actually the theme of how we measure ourselves as, as a partnerships group. Because we work with these partners, because we actually got them to invest up to Facebook, did we actually change the trajectory of their growth? Did I actually make Excel the king of the world? Did that actually get two users back because he actually um, made Facebook only as, as an integration point, as, a, as an identity on top of his platform? This applies to everything, right? It applies to brands like Burberry. Burberry is a fantastic partner on top of Facebook because they bet on the platform as a way to engage with the community. And they have a community of 9 million people on Facebook. The trajectory has been up and to the right in terms of how they use our medium, even to launch products. The trajectory has been up and to the right to all the gaming partners that I spoke about. What we're trying to do with actually this new launches of products is actually accelerate that growth. The theme of, uh, we were talking about the theme they wanted to actually transmit across the web, it was one of acceleration. Not only of us, I mean, we as a company have grown significantly in terms of users, even from the last year's web to this year's web, but actually in terms of our partners and how the people that met on Facebook do well. So this is some stats from um, partners ever since the launch of F8. To date, 1.5 billion songs have been shared via Facebook, via the Open Graph integration. This is mainly US with some international partners, primarily Spotify and Deezer. Spotify has acquired 7 million new users since F8. Excel has publicly said that he's gaining about 10,000 users per day via Facebook. Dailymotion was one of our launch partners um, for F8 around the Open Graph. On a monthly basis, we send Dailymotion about 200 million links. 
that, that includes both um, videos watched on Facebook and actually people clicking through and going back to dailymotion.com. Any way you count it, that's pretty significant. On the news side, we actually launched uh, with a number of uh, news partners. In Europe, we launched with The Independent and The Guardian in the UK, Washington Post, Yahoo News in the US. The Guardian took a big gamble, and what they decided to do was actually cannibalize all the traffic from Facebook to The Guardian and redirect it to an application on Facebook. Rather than actually using us as an acquisition medium for their site, they decided to actually create a social experience that lived and exists only on Facebook. So every time you see an article from The Guardian on Facebook and you click on it, it will actually redirect you back to an application. <coughs> that application has now been installed by 4 million users in 60 days. About 3.5 million users actually use it actively on a monthly basis. To put it in context, their website, guardian.co.uk, has a 60 million uniques according to Comscore. So we've very quickly become a significant percentage of their reader base. And the more interesting part is actually who the readers are. They're seeing an, an incremental 1 million reads of their articles, mainly from people below 24, which had traditionally been a kind of harder demographic for news. If you're 24 years old, you probably get your news through like your Twitter feed and your Facebook news feed. And the Guardian is actually using a Facebook application to tap into. And actually, we, we have this thing called a recommendation bar, which is an easy way for any news site to drop in this functionality onto a site. And we announced the fact that we're going to launch with a number of leading French newspapers this experience for you to actually, if you choose to, share what you're reading with your friends on Facebook and actually discover content based on that. So the, the data is pretty clear already. We are beginning to drive significantly new consumption and distribution models on top of um, media partners from this open graph integration. Last week we actually announced um, kind of our trend for the year. And we announced two things. One was the mythology, which is effectively um, things that actually tipped that went viral as themes. But we also announced the most shared articles in the US. And it was all sorts of stuff around um, well, you can go and look at it, Barack Obama and actually musicians and uh, Super Bowl champions. But I actually asked our data team to do the same thing for the UK. So I wanted to see how different media in different um, countries have actually shared content. And media, especially news, is extremely local, right? If you're Italian, you read Corriere and Repubblica, you don't read the Washington Post. If you're French, you read Le Monde and Figaro and L'Equipe, not Marca from Spain. So these are actually three of the top 10 stories shared on Facebook from news partners in the UK. One was actually um, a BBC application around the day, the day that the world passed 7 billion people. You could actually determine where you were in those 7 billion people and it gave you some demographics. The other one was um, Qaddafi versus Machine, um, who actually had a specific quote. It's kind of scary how much they look alike. And the third was actually um, the death of Amy Winehouse, which actually was quite, quite significant. Along with these, there's a bunch of other stories that are more um, salacious or maybe uh, interesting. So actually, I think it's live on our Facebook UK page as of now, the list of the top, top 25 articles shared on Facebook. But it gives you a really good insight into how media content, news content goes viral, and the themes that people care about. And I think as we go into next year, next year in Europe special will be a, a year of sports. Right? There's the Olympics and there's actually the Euro Championship. Both will actually generate a lot of buzz and conversation. And we'll actually see that spike up as people start talking about it. 
I can pretty much track any single sports football team on Facebook every single time they play because if this people screaming at their friends via Facebook just spikes up. Apparently the rumor right now is that PSG is going to get Beckham, so you start seeing Beckham spikes across France. So the, the notion of distribution platform, the notion of actually social discovery through virality is something that we try to apply to everything we do. And something that we're very, very keenly focused on right now is bringing that same momentum to mobile. We could probably be accused of having under-leveraged the mobile ecosystem and the focus that we had on it. And that's actually changing right now. And it's changing through two things that we're doing. One is we're betting heavily on HTML5 as a medium that will democratize experience across mobile devices. And two, we actually launched a set of technology components that actually bring the viral, the viral channels from the web to mobile applications. Right now, we mainly launched with game partners. And yes, we'll specifically talk about um, one of the launches that he did with us. But I want to show you exactly how it works. We talked about requests before in games, when you actually invite a friend to play with you. You actually can see those requests on your iPhone or iOS application, actually as of yesterday, on your Android application as well. And it says, well, come play Words with Friends. Before, when I clicked on that, it would actually have taken me to a website. But it didn't really help you much. Now, if you're a developer and you tell us what your native application is, we will actually redirect that and send the user to the actual Apple Store or to your HTML5 experience. So you can download the application. If you already have the application, you have to be led directly to the application itself and you'll be logged on. And as you use the application, if you use it on the web already, it actually starts appearing as a jewel on the, uh, the left-hand side of bookmark on your left-hand navigation. So we're driving distribution through bookmarks if you're actually a gaming company on Facebook today, you know those bookmarks on the web drive a significant amount of traffic. And we think that these bookmarks on, on actual mobile will do the same. So I click on the Words with Friends bookmark, or I click on the friend request, and that actually takes me directly into the game, and I can start playing with my friend. And the fact that I just play with my friend actually gets written back to Facebook, and actually he gets informed that I've now played his history to go play, and when he clicks on it on the web or on mobile, they get immersed into the game. And if you actually you decide to play on the web, you can actually continue having an experience around the same application, both on your device and on the web. And you can, especially in games like World of Friends where we have turns, I can go and dip in through whatever interface I'm doing. So you'll see us talking a lot more about the importance of mobile developer and, the, and actually the investment that we're doing into the mobile developer ecosystem to try to build the same types of virality, the same type of up and to the right curves that we've seen for social games on top of mobile applications be that games or others. And so what I wanted to do today was invite probably one of our biggest fans and supporters. Um, Jens is a, is a two-time, three-time entrepreneur who decided to gamble on this crazy platform which kept changing and kept breaking. He's built a fantastic company that actually continues to innovate along with us. He's gonna talk about the bet that they're making on both Facebook and HTML5 and why it actually is important to them. So Jens. Thank you, Christian. Great. Thank you for the warm introduction. So I would like to talk about mobile today. And um, so we have about 35 million active users on Facebook. And for us, the biggest challenge for the next few months will be about bringing all of this great experience to mobile. 
and making mobile games that are inherently social and we are working very closely together with Facebook to create truly social games. And one of the steps we make in that direction was that we are doing things on native, so native applications. So yesterday we launched Diamond Dash here at LeWeb and uh, during the last uh, 24 hours it has already seen an amazing number of downloads that was very surprising to us. So we do native apps and we do HTML5 in parallel. And I will explain now during the next roughly five minutes why we do HTML5, why we believe it's so important for the future of mobile app development. Um, so let's have a look at HTML5. So what is HTML5? So HTML5 is a technology that receives lots of love, right? So Facebook is praising it, Google, Microsoft, everybody says about how HTML5 is the future of mobile app development and how it will become the default platform to code for mobile devices. So that's really, really exciting. Um, and if we look inside the box, so what's inside the HTML5 box, so HTML5 consists of a couple of components. So it consists of CSF, JavaScript, a little bit of what, what has been called HTML before, and lots of hype as the last component. So all of this together makes up HTML5. Um, and so why all of this hype? So all of this hype is because HTML5 promises a lot. It promises that you can write once and deploy everywhere, that you only have to write your application one time, it will work on every phone and every device, um, and you don't have to care about all of these different systems, and also you, you don't need an app store, right? Somebody clicks your app and it loads immediately. So this is really, really, really great. Um, so, but talking about hype, um, let's see how, how kind of HTML5 um, kind of delivers to, towards that hype. So there are a few challenges. So one of these examples is sound. If you want to do sound, which is very important for games, in an HTML5 app, it's very, very tricky because it's very tough to implement that. And in fact, because of that, most HTML5 games today on mobile don't have sound. So that's one of the challenges. And there are many other challenges that it's not so fast yet as a native app. And coding a native app is easier, it's more comfortable, right? It's, it's easier to do. And doing HTML5 is a little bit more painful. Um, and therefore, I think we have seen this huge hype of HTML5. And now, over the last few months, we've seen a little bit of disillusion of people who actually wrote games for HTML5. So I've seen even comparison of comparing um, this to transportation devices. So it, let's say if a native app was a race car, right? then an HTML5 game would be like a bicycle. So that's the comparison. Um, and if you look at a couple of HTML5 games, it's still true. So many HTML5 games out there really look like, like a website. You do something and then it reloads. And then you press the button again and you wait a second. And it's not so cool, but there are a number of developers who are really pushing the envelope about what can be done. So there are a number of developers who do really great things and we've also tried to, to contribute to that and to do something. So we work together with Facebook um, over a course of, of uh, roughly half a year to try to create something, a game in HTML5 that is really much better than what most people out there expect. So that's what we try to do and I would like to show it to you. So the game is called Magic Land. These are a few screenshots and I will probably run a short video. So it's a city building game 
And the principle is very similar, like you see it from Facebook.com or also from native apps on the iPhone. So you've got this medieval town, you can build houses, you can move them around, and um, all of this is uh, pre-recorded, and the mouse pointer basically shows you where um, you would touch with your finger, and this is how it looks in Safari. So uh, the, the performance is quite good, and it's actually quite similar to what you would expect from a native app. So we can maybe also show little bit more high level if you have played for a few weeks. Um, and we launched this a month ago and um, it's, it's, it's pretty good and we're pretty happy about what can be achieved today. So let's continue. Yeah. So it's not as good as a native app. So with a native app you can do 3D graphics and, and a little bit more amazing animations, but it's pretty good, right? So I think it's really close, even today, to native apps. And if you think about you're starting a project now, and you want to deploy it maybe in a few months, and devices and browsers have advanced for them, it's foreseeable that in the future, the user won't be able to tell the difference between HTML5 and a native app. So putting back to the car analogy, if a native app is like a race car, then I would say HTML5 today is like a family car. So that's where we are today, which is kind of a good status. So to summarize, if we would put HTML5 on the Gartner hype cycle curve, so let's do a little bit of business school 101. Um, HTML5 was in introduced, then we saw this huge hype uh, that no technology would have been able to, to kind of deliver to. Uh, we saw lots of disillusion because it turned out to be not so easy that you think you would saw, see. But now I believe, we have really the potential to really go towards HTML5 and make the future app development platform. And it still needs a few more months and probably maybe a year of improvement and of, of continuous improvement, but it's really there. If you start a project now, for most cases, it can be as good as a native app. And for other cases where it's not yet good enough, I think it will become there and will get there maybe a year or two. So, Therefore, we believe that HTML5 is a bright future. Um, therefore, we are heavily investing in it, uh, in parallel to native apps, because native apps are big today, but we're heavily investing in HTML5, and we believe that at one point in time, HTML5 will end up here. Thank you. Thanks, yes. So, we're pretty much out of time, but I do want to kind of bring it to a close and, and, and cover some of the stuff we talked about. When I talk to entrepreneurs, I talk about us as a platform. And, and if, you think, if you hear Mark speak about where he wants the company to go, he wants us to be a platform. Right? Facebook.com is a very large website with a lot of users coming back to it on a daily basis. But really, where our vision is, is to actually build an identity layer that permeates throughout the web. Actually permeate throughout your life, so that when you turn on your set-top box, or you look at your phone, or you actually engage with the web, no matter which website you go to, your identity is there, and your friends are there. You have a social experience through which you discover content, and consume content, and share content. And what we want to build is actually a stable platform that allows companies to integrate with Facebook and actually have that up into the right graph that we showed over and over and over again today. So if you're actually a brand, or you're actually a startup, or you're a large media company, Think about us as a massively free distribution system for 800 million people. 25 million in the UK alone, uh, sorry, in, the U in France alone, 30 million in the UK. 
a platform through which you actually be able to tap into people's interests and basically get some value back. Tap into their, their likes and their objects and the interest gap that comes together across it. So hopefully this has inspired you. Hopefully it's actually given you some ideas about what it all means when we talk about the open graph and about the new timeline. And maybe it's actually generated some questions. So why should you actually be betting on Facebook? And it really comes down to distribution. We are actually literally tasked to go drive incremental distribution for our partners. That is a metric that we measure our success on as a platform partnerships organization. Second question might be, how the heck do I actually figure out how to build this stuff? Well, the answer is twofold. One, tomorrow morning we have four hours worth of sessions um, in one of the rooms in the other building. One hour on Facebook for marketers, how to actually le leverage the Facebook uh, community to actually launch and maintain brands, how to make brands relevant to, to our users. Two hours on the open graph, one around actually building open graph applications and one on actually building mobile applications and then one hour on the marketing APIs and some of the technology that we have behind the scenes that allows you to actually run at massively scalable campaigns um, on top of the Facebook platform. So if you actually have questions about how do I actually tinker with this and build it yourself, come to those sessions tomorrow. We actually had initially planned to do some Q&A, but I think we, uh, we're pretty much out of time now, so I want to be conscious of actually giving the room over to our friends from LinkedIn who I think are here next. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you to the guests. Thank you for the demo. Thank you to partners who bet on us. Thanks so much. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, an independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com.